Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. I'm also the managing director of B Squared. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of this podcast is really, really simple. We want to reach lots of people and help everyone learn more about special educational needs and disability. This week I have Abigail Hawkins as my guest. Abigail is an SEN consultant and runs the Sensible Senco, which is a community on Facebook that does so much more. And this week we're discussing the role of the Senco. Are you a cuddly cardigan or are you strategic? The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We help schools do assessment. We help show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and a wide range of ages. If you are a primary school struggling to show progress, not sure about the engagement model, not sure how to show progress in the early years, we can help. Did you know you can also use our assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time, saving you money, simplifying the whole assessment process, including getting that whole school picture. Visit the B Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing cuddly cardigans, strategic suits, and why Senkos don't fit into either. My guest is Abigail Hawkins. Abigail is an SEN consultant from Senko Solutions. She also runs Sensible Senko, a networking support group for Senkos. You can find them on Facebook. Abigail has been a Senko for over 25 years, covering a variety of subjects and phases. Until recently, she was a chair of governance for three schools, and she also works with software companies to help develop software to support SEN. Welcome to the show, Abigail. Thank you very much, Dale. You are welcome. So we all know Senkos have miles too many hats to wear and can often feel like they aren't making a difference. But they are. They always are. We're always making a difference. Yes, it sometimes feels like we aren't, though. Um, very often, you know, I can remember, you'd walk in in the morning with your own to-do list planner in hand, put it down on the table, open up your emails, realizes another three emails in there that you need to deal with that have somehow appeared and how they've appeared, why have they appeared now? You open those up, add those to your to-do list. Somebody comes through the door, they need help with something. And you know that if you don't give them that help there and then, they cannot get on with their day. So you end up dealing with them as well. But I think what I really want to focus on here is that cuddly cardigan strategic suits. So that code of practice that we had, 2015, said the SEN role is strategic. It's something, you know, when we think of strategy, I always think of war when I think of strategy, which sounds really awful. (laughs) What's your strategy? (laughs) But it's that idea of knowing where you're going and planning how to get there and what the result is going to be. And it kept saying that we've got to be strategic. Anybody who has done the role for more than three minutes will know that you cannot be entirely strategic with the Senko role. You could want to be strategic, but there is so much that gets thrown at you throughout the day. You feel a bit like a firefighter most of the time that you can't be. You have to react to things constantly. And a lot of those things, unlike planning for war and, you know, invading a country or whatever it is, you can't predict what they're going to be. You don't know. You just don't know. You don't know how those children are going to be on that day and what's going to bubble up. You don't know what that member of staff's problem is going to be when they come through the door. You don't know what's going to be in your email box or what, you know, what the government, even what the government's going to ask you to do. Sometimes that suddenly appears in your to-do list. So that whole notion of being an entirely strategic Senko is it's a bit of a misnomer, I think. You can't be entirely strategic. We have to be a reactive human in this as well. It just If I just go to all the stuff I'm seeing on, we're recording this over the summer, and I'm just seeing on various groups, people are getting paperwork, yep. which they have to respond to in August. And I'm thinking, what part of, Having paperwork being received, coming in, having to deal with it within a time frame, 
What part of that is anything to do with being strategic? You would think that, you know, because we, we've got a set of guidelines that say you have to respond to certain things within certain timescales. That's strategic because it's being planned for. But somehow when somebody planned all of that, they forgot to think, oh, these people might be on holiday. These people might be on maternity. These people might be having a break. These people might be thinking about the New Year 7 cohort. I always think of secondary senkos at this point. But they might be thinking of that New Year 7 cohort coming in and focusing on that. I probably can't deal with yet another consultation that has just come through with, oh, can you just respond to this one and tell us whether you can take this child in September? No, you can't meet them before then. And no, we can't give you any more information. And yeah, you can just have them on the first day of term and, you know, you'll make it work, won't you? (laughs) It's so frustrating. So there's that idea of being strategic and then there's the practicality of being down on the ground. Like I say, it's like firefighting. We don't get to put the fire breakers in at any point. We just constantly fight the fires. The other problem with being strategic is to be strategic in a school around SEN, you need to have a big voice and to be listened to. Because yeah. there's no point in you saying, we need to do this, 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 and this. And they were going, yeah, we haven't got time for that, all the money, so we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, the practice said, put the centre on the senior leadership team. And I'm sure that some of the Senkos who will sit and listen to this are like, yeah, right. (laughs) They either have a voice on the senior leadership team or they're there in token presence. Or one, the other one I came across only in the last year, look, if you're going to be on the senior leadership team, we're going to give you five other jobs. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I was like, no, (laughs) being the Senko is enough. (laughs) What pit of that? No, no, they're now in charge of this, this and this. It's like, no, that's not. Oh, dear God. <laughs> That's not what they meant. Well, I don't know if I've, I've ever shared this with anyone. The, um, one of the schools I was in, I was uh, Senko, EAL lead, pupil premium lead, looked after children, designated safeguarding lead, and chief first aider, alongside teaching a 70% timetable, which we'll ignore for the moment. I was not on the senior leadership team. <laughs> so all of those job titles, not on the senior leadership team. I had, and I'm quite happy to share this story, I had a little bit of a breakdown with all of those titles and quite a heavy workload to go with it. And I took some time off. And when I went back, I got called into a meeting. I walked in with my head teacher. My head teacher sat there and said, well, we've taken a look at all of the roles that you have. And we recognise that's an awful lot for one person. And I sat there and I thought, oh, yes, fantastic. They've realised this at last. I'm going to get an EAL. This is going to go wrong, isn't it? This is going to go so wrong. It is. So, yes, great. And then he went, so we're going to distribute your roles amongst the senior leadership team. Oh, okay, fantastic. And then followed it up with the sentence, which means you are surplus to requirements. <laughs> so they recognise that it's too much for one person, spread the load out amongst the rest of the senior leadership team, which to be fair, they were very top heavy, and in the process made me redundant, which is another story altogether. But it was that, you know, at least there was the recognition that it's more than just being a senko sometimes, it's too much. But no recognition that they all weren't working very hard at all while you were... <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no, no comment. Let's just leave that one there. Oh. <laughs> Come on, it means I get to do what I do now and I get to support Senkos. And I can, you know, when they sit there and they say, I've had this come in or my senior leadership isn't listening to me or whatever, I absolutely understand where they are coming from. Yeah. I really do get it. But yeah, you know, strategic is about knowing what the end point is. And you can't be strategic when you've got a consultation coming in August for students to start in September when you've already actually planned for September, October, November, December. You know, if you've got a consult coming in, it's usually for an EHCP, so a student with quite high levels of needs. Sometimes that means you've got to recruit another member of staff. You've got to recruit a TA to to do something, or you've got to find an occupational therapist to come in and give some advice, or a a speech and language therapist, or put a different provision in place to meet Section F, which you haven't planned for because you didn't know anything about that student. So so the crystal ball is broken, I'm sorry. Also, when I think of strategic, going back to the war, generally you've got a load of armies and tanks and whatever else to move around your board or map or world, whatever it is, and do what you need to. 
it's quite hard doing that when you've got nothing. Yeah, really hard. And, you know, senior leadership teams, they get to deploy stuff to where they need them. As the Senko, if you're not on that senior leadership team, you might have a team of TAs or LSAs, whatever the current phrase is for those staff that support you with your role. But very often you'll find they get pulled in other directions. So I can remember every year I have my team of TAs and I plan their timetable out for them, which was, you know, that was strategic, planning out what's going to yep. happen because they wanted to know in July before we broke up, just like everybody else. So you'd plan that out for them. And then something could happen and it would be, well, could we use your TA to support the English department? Because we're short of a member of English staff. So if we borrowed Sue for a couple of weeks before, so while we recruit somebody, then she can fill in for them and do a bit of cover supervision sort of thing. So we'll plan the lessons, you know. I was like, okay, but that means I'm down a TA. What am I supposed to do with the support those students need? It's, it was very frustrating. and. You know, as you say, you have generals, you have tanks, you have all those things. If you're fighting a war, I'm just seeing this Senko with a hat on their head and a cane in their charge, tapping the board. I was like, charge, <laughs> cigar in hand. Um, <laughs> but as a, you know, as the Senko, we don't have that. We don't have that power. We don't, and that sounds awful. I don't mean to say that we need power, but we need to be able to make strategic decisions that head towards that end point, that somebody else isn't going to come along and go, yeah, but I need them to go and do intervention with year 11 because we need to improve their GCSE grades for next year. You know exactly how I feel about GCSE grades. It's just not right. No, but uh, Senkos need power. Yes. If you just reading social media of all the stuff Senkos get told, your journey, all those sorts of things, you're going... Not an egalomaniac, megalomaniac type power, but you do need to say, to have the power to say, no, I need this and it needs to be provided. And to be strategic, as you said, you need an endpoint. Yeah. And you've got to work towards it. If you've got nothing, if you've got no power, you've got no control, there's no point even setting an endpoint because you have got nothing to work towards. So you cannot be strategic without the support of the senior leaders or being on the senior or having a voice and power, a budget, which isn't just instantly used on TAs and or disappearing into other parts of the school. And you need time. Oh, and time. But, you know, that strategic bit of everybody heading for the same end point. So whatever we're aiming for, everybody is aiming for it, not just the Senko and the SEN department. And I, I actually hate that phrase, the SEN department, because that just reminds me of what was the company? Not Littlewoods, um, Woolworths, years and years ago. That's not my department when you went in there and they'd send you over to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think of the SEN department is yes, you want the SEN department. Yeah. Yeah. Go through this nice building. Yeah. Into the rubbish building at the back. Yeah. Walk through there. Yeah, into the woods, there's a falling down cabin. Yeah, that's where you'll find the Senko. <laughs> Almost in a very wide corridor, usually on some kind of bridge. So really wide with tables in the corridor so everybody can see who is getting the support. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it is, yeah, it's, it shouldn't be like that. But the problem is there is that mindset of there's a school and then there's the SEN department. And it's not, though, because SEN is everybody's responsibility. Does it say that anywhere? Oh, yes. <laughs> Multiple places. You're winding me up now, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's the senior leadership's responsibility. It's the governor's responsibility. Let's not forget them. It's the trust's responsibility. It's the teacher's responsibility. It's not an SEN department. You have somebody who supports you with it, like you have a head teacher, you have a head of SEN, who is your Senko, but those staff need to take it for themselves. They need to do it for themselves, not constantly go, oh, it's an SEN kid. SEN department, come over here, please. And that's really frustrating. And that's a big battle. I'm, you know, we're in August at the moment. First day of terms coming up for most places, early September, end of August time, depending when they go back. And, you know, there'll be some Senkos who've been given a slot on inset day. 
don't, don't. And that's what will vary from, you know, 15 minutes to maybe they've been given half a day to do something, maybe. And then then you get the question of, and what are the LSAs going to do whilst everybody else is having SIMS training? Because that's not relevant to the LSAs. But the Senko's got to sit in the SIMS training. So they can't do something with the LSAs and the TAs. So what are we going to give them to do? I, it's, uh, I'm just going to go growl because I can't find words now. <laughs> I just see all these posts at the moment on social media groups. I've been given an hour slot to help people with SEN. What game can I play? Or I'm going to give them a tour of every type of special need in an hour. And I'm like, <laughs> I reckon you could just about list them. And that's the thing is I also feel that they, that they need to f- have a need, They feel the need to cram that hour long f- full because they've got so much to give and they try and, and because that's what you as a Senko, you've got to want to do all this. But actually, what you actually really need to do is ignore labels, ignore everything. And I think go back to what are some very simple, basic things that will help every child. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One thing I would say, if you are a secondary school and you have a teacher share with all the IEPs, one-page plans, EHE, all that lot on, Please make sure you put the child's photo on every single document. <laughs> I would also ask you to not just say, I've put all the IEPs and the one-page plans and the HCPs forms on the SEN folder of the staff share. Please go have a look at your pupils. That's not going to happen. Sadly, you have to for, and not just because of time and everything, you literally somehow need to get someone in the office or someone to send an email out to each teacher. These are the SEM pupils you have. Go read these files. Otherwise, they will not under they will not go look. And a child will come in their class and they'll be going, giving him detentions because he's naughty. Even though there's a lovely document over here, which you've spent lots of time creating, telling them, don't do this, don't do this, they'll do this, avoid it, this will happen. And it's not being read. So for secondary schools, it's a really big challenge. That. It is, but they could also use their MLS. So they take their register on Sims or Arbor or whatever it is. It flags the students who are SEN. So teachers really don't have an excuse for not knowing who is on that wonderful SEN register that doesn't really exist. They haven't got that excuse that they should know who those students are. One of the best schools I have been in, they made a dedicated effort And they actually allocated 15 minutes, which doesn't sound very long, but 15 minutes every week in a morning briefing. And every member of staff had to sit and read an IEP, a plan, a pupil passport, whatever you want to call them, one-page profile on students that they met in their day-to-day work. So every week they had a 15-minute opportunity to read information about those students. The downside of it was that, you know, if a student's surname began with a Z, we might be waiting until week 26 before they actually got around to reading it. But it did at least give them that time recognised that just saying to somebody, oh, the information's in Staff Drive D, go and read it, you'll find it there. They're not going to do it. You know, best when it, or if they do do it, they do it on the first day of term and then promptly forget about it and never look at an update until next September. I get it. You know, I've been a class teacher. I've been there where you have got so much coming at you and you're being asked to read the IEPs, you're being asked to read a new scheme of work, you're being asked to look at some new set of criteria that have come out for a Pearson or whoever it is that's setting your exam criteria. You're looking at a new trust policy on behaviour. You're trying to do all of those things and remember those individuals. And at one point I taught, although I'm a science teacher, at one point I was teaching music in a school. So I taught every child in that school. That meant reading information on every single child. Think of your poor music teacher because, or RE teacher very often as well in secondary. Don't very often get more than one in a school. And they've got to read the information on every single child. And that's a lot of information to take in and then remember yeah. and apply every single lesson. So giving them that opportunity. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about the joy of being strategic. Mm-hmm. 
Let's come back to that cuddly cardigan. <laughs> so when I started out, my head teacher, my very first head teacher, used to refer to the Senko as cuddly cardigan down the corridor. And it was quite derogatory to my face. To be fair, she was an older lady and she was very cuddly, like me, slightly overweight. Whenever you had a problem with a student, and I am going back to the early 1990s, so we are talking when SCN wasn't quite as prevalent and on everybody's radar as it is now. But if you had a problem with a student, you'd send them down the corridor to the cuddly cardigan. And it was lovely being the cuddly cardigan. I think that's probably what attracted me to the Senko role in the first place. They'd come into the room and they'd get to have a bit of fun. They'd sit down, you'd do that relaxing stuff with them, you'd play a card game with them, or you'd do some colouring or you'd calm that child down. You got to work one-to-one with an individual child for a period of time. And then as the Senko role kind of developed over the following couple of years, what you found was that the cuddly cardigan started venturing into the corridors and classrooms, and you'd find them sitting on the floor, possibly in the nursery and reception classroom, playing with the child that was hiding under the desk because they weren't able to regulate and they were trying to hide from the noise and and all the rest of it. But they were doing that one-to-one work with those children to enable them and give them the coping strategies and the skills and drawing them out from underneath the desk and bringing them into that classroom environment. And then up in the, the juniors and secondary schools, those Senkos were going in, they were perhaps pulling out a couple of students, doing some intervention work with them, because, you know, we came from a background, we came from a teaching background. And generally speaking, those of us who fell into the Senko role, because at that time, I don't think any of us chose it, you kind of fell into it. it. It was, you were good at reaching those kids. You know, I'm putting air quotes in here. You were good at reaching those kids. So they gave you the chance to work with little groups of those kids and really have an impact on them. And it wasn't, you know, a planned intervention of six weeks or it wasn't measured in any way. But you knew you had an impact because those children went back into the classrooms and their teachers were not complaining anymore. And they were able to make progress in their normal lessons and and all the rest of it. And then in secondary, you know, you might get consulted on to to provide a bit of support for a student who was struggling with something and you'd give them some advice, you'd do a couple of one-off sessions, or you might have, I hate to say it, but bottom set, you might be given those to teach English to or maths to because you had that way of working with those kids, in quotes again. And that's that cuddly cardigan. We were good at that. We were really good at it. And when the code of practice changed and said, you need to be strategic. I think some schools kind of cut all of that off and went, right, okay. And that's why I call it a strategic suit. They kind of took us out of our nice comfy leggings and the cardigan where we could get down and do it with the kids. That sounded wrong. Um, Where we could get our hands on. No, that sounds wrong too. (laughs) Sorry. Engage with the children in a (laughs) constructive manner. There we go. Thank you, Now you know why I'm not a strategic senko. Um, those things that we were good at, we got stuck in a suit in an office dealing with bureaucracy. We would ended up dealing with paperwork. Plan for somebody else to go and do what you're good at. You know, plan for the TA to go and deliver that intervention, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But actually, we were the ones that were good at doing it. So you can't take your personality out and put it into a lesson plan for somebody else to deliver. There has to be something there. So, yeah, cuddly cardigans, strategic suits, you can't wear either of them. We need to be somewhere in between. A leggings with a smart top. Yeah, leggings and a blazer. Yeah, why not? Yes. Or a cardigan and power trousers. <laughs> Maybe not. Elasticated skirt. No. But that's the thing is, when we think of that strategic, I think what they're hoping with the whole quality first teaching and all that lot, that what you, what those senkos have done for years we're hopefully giving every teacher that yeah that i think is the overall idea is we don't want one ch- person who can reach those children we want every teacher yeah. and your role as a senko is to you know oh you know try this do this and, and that makes sense so the senkos have become more strategic but then 
the other part hasn't always happened. No. Because when you did teacher training, tell me about your teacher training. How long was it? I did a PGCE. So it's what, well, it's not even one year, is it? It's six months, if that, because you spend some of it in school and some of it at the university. And did I do anything on SEN? Absolutely not. Was I in a school that had students with SEN? Yes, to a certain extent. So I did get to dabble my feet, if you like, dip my toes in the water. Did anybody give me any advice on how to work with those students? No. I was simply told, oh, that student over there has got dwarfism. That was the phrase that was used. They got dwarfism and he's a naughty little bleep. That was actually the phrase used by the chemistry teacher. Experience my PGCE, my very first week, it was it, when I did my PGCE, the teachers didn't used to stay in the room with you. They saw it as additional free time. So you would arrive, this you know brand new person who'd literally spent two weeks at university finding out what a school was, because of course you didn't know that. You walked into the school, you were given a timetable, you walked into a classroom, the teacher would look at you with, oh, you're the trainee teacher, aren't you? Brilliant. Well done. They're doing a lesson on this. I'll see you later and go off for a cup of tea. This particular gentleman, physics teacher, did, said to me, oh, you're going to deliver a lesson on pressure. Oh, okay. I'm not really sure what I'm delivering, but I'll do a lesson on pressure. That sounds quite pressuring. Disappeared out of the room. Partway through the lesson, I could smell burning. Two students back of the classroom had set fire to some substance, not entirely sure what it was, on a wooden stool. Yeah, <laughs> that was my experience of my PGCE. That has stuck in my mind for over 30 years now. <laughs> it's like, where, you know, where was my information about those students? When the teacher came back in, he was like, why does my classroom smell? What have you done about it? it, it there was no, no support there, if you like. That's the thing. I just, I literally, just hearing you walk into a school with a timetable and do that, I'm literally sort of going, uh, behaviour policy, yeah. that policy, that policy, <laughs> that policy, that policy, that policy. Uh, wow. Um, yes. No, you, you just didn't get it. I mean, now it's far better, isn't it? The, the programmes are far mm. more well, I'd like to think they're better. They're far more structured. You do get the policies. We can now go on the internet and find a lot of that information. And they do have optional information about SEN. Exactly. And because the information, SEN information report is statutory on the school website, if I was being sent to a school now as a PGCE student or trainee B.Ed student, I'd be able to go in there, I'd be able to go and find something about SEN. So, so you, you're telling me after two weeks of doing your PGCE, you knew about an SEN information report? No, I didn't. <laughs> That's the thing. It's just like, no, it's not changed. No, That's right. the thing. no it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. I, I, know, I know someone who used to work for us has gone off to be a teacher after two years. I said, right, so what SEN stuff have you done? She went, it was an optional module. So they did nothing apart from the optional module on SEN. And I, I know lots of things are still doing that. My mum was a teacher. And when she trained to be a teacher, it is you did three years on education. And you went to a teaching college. You went to a college, a university, training teachers. That's all they did. They trained teachers. And there was, I think it was like three around, Man two or three around Manchester alone. So it was a big thing. And my mum did child development. She did all of that stuff. And so my mum was one of those cuddly cardigans because she understood. She had been taught and had learned all of those things that when a child's doing this, she was like, okay, so they're doing this. That probably means they haven't done this. So I need to engage them on this. And they had this. Whereas that kind of was expensive way of teaching. We simplified it. We were running out of teachers. So we went down this PGCE route. And if you have a PGCE, I'm not having a go at you. It's kind of anyone who's kind of gone that route is you have been put into a job underqualified. And you have probably turned out to be amazing, especially if you listen to this podcast, because you are literally trying to find out as much as possible. And that's the thing. It is down to you as a person to learn. Oh, yeah. And I think the Nasenko qualification is lovely if you want to go get a master's somewhere, but actually as a benefit to the school and the students in a school, I don't know if it offers any benefit. I've had various people tell me, I've got my Senko. I'm now looking for training to help me do my job as a Senko. The Nasenko is not fit for purpose. There you go, I've said it. I've put it out there now. 
it is not fit for purpose. I read one of the modules for one of the areas because I did think about that. I, I don't have the Nesenko. I don't have to do it. I was qualified by experience, apparently. No, I think someone was just too scared to tell you you needed to do it. Um, <laughs> I read the, the, you know, the course module and it, the first part of it was the history of SEN. How the bleeping hell is that useful to me as a Senko to know what the history of SEN is and where the different policies came into play? That really doesn't matter. What I want to know is, Fred has been diagnosed with ADHD. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to help his teachers to help Fred? How how do I have a conversation with Fred's parents going, I think he's got ADHD. Please stop hitting me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of that. And you know, how, how do I write a, a successful e- education healthcare needs assessment request? How, you know, What do I need to fill in? What are the buzzwords? although that is local authority dependent, but all of those things, understanding SEN funding, I, I, you know, please stick a flipping module in there that teaches them SEN funding. They tried to, but they couldn't find anyone to teach that because no one understood it, so they couldn't teach it. <laughs> I understood it until they changed it more recently. <laughs> but that's the thing, is this Nesenko, I've literally I looked at it, I've looked at the staff, and I've just heard people doing dissertations, they're going, what's your dissertation on? The bloody bloody blah and going, what's this got to do with anything to do with the actual being a Senko? And then when they mentioned in the green paper, they're going to get rid of the Nesenko, there was uproar about, going, what, sorry, <laughs> what are you moaning about? That's brilliant news. Hopefully they'll come up with, I get the Nesenko is, can lead you onto a master's and from a personal point of view, you might feel that another qualification won't give you that stepping stone, but I'm hoping the qualification they come up with will be much better at preparing someone to be a Senko. I'd like to think so. I'd love to think so. I And for me as well, at the moment, they have this, you have three years to get qualification. So you can be employed as a Senko, and then you've got up to three years to attain that Senko qualification. You, you've seen my social media groups. And you'll see people say, shall I spend a year getting my feet under the table and dabbling in the water kind of thing before I go for it? And you see lots of people go, yes, do that. You need to get to know your school. You need to get to know your students. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, you actually need to know your job. You know, you wouldn't ask a surgeon to spend a year, well, three years kind of doing the job before getting the qualification as a surgeon. <laughs> it was my first three years as a train driver was untrained. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> But you can imagine every, I was not a train driver, but you know, every, no job, you have to have the qualification before you go into Unless it. Unless it's an apprenticeship. But if you think it's an apprenticeship, Unless it's apprenticeship, you're usually doing it alongside somebody who has that qualification or can support you with that qualification. They have that knowledge. They yes. have that set of skills. You know, I'd love to see a Senko apprenticeship. There's one in the pipeline that has been in the pipeline for years. It just doesn't seem to move. But that would be great. That would be fantastic. But to sit there and go for the first two years, oh, no, I'm just going to carry on with the job and I'm going to get to learn to know this and then I'll do it. It just seems wrong to me. But also, I think doing the Nesenko doesn't actually help you do either of those things. Know your school or know the job. So you might as well get stuck in early and get it out exactly, of the way. Exactly. And let's just change the Nesenko. So it is worthwhile and does show us how to do the job. It goes back to that, you know, the SEN green paper. Some of the changes coming in in that, of which one of them, hopefully, will be this change of qualification, but also that identification of SCN, the standards, the criteria, hopefully all of that becomes a little bit more standardised. And actually, there's, I hate to say it, but less to learn. If, you, if everything's standardised, I could write a book on how to complete an EHCP. Yes. At the moment, I can't write that book. I'd have to write 150 books called How to Write Your EHCP in Hampshire. How to Write Your EHCP in Surrey, because they're all different. How to Identify SEN. So by having it standard, which I know people get scared of, but in reality, it means we can put all of that into this Senko qualification because it's standard, it's fixed, it's set. We can all learn it. But also, you know, not just from the Senko perspective, it also means you can then turn around to your class teachers and to your SLT and go, and this is what must happen. 
And this yes. is your responsibility. And this is your responsibility. And if you don't know about that bit, this is the training that you need to go and do. And that will enable Senkos to become more strategic because we've then got, you know, the crystal ball is now working again. We've got the end point. We can see where we're going and we can see where each person needs to go along that path to get there. So, yeah, things I don't like in that green paper, should it ever come into fruition. Things that I do like, though, and that is one of them, the whole idea of the whole country being the same. And Yes. I, one thing I don't like about the green paper is there was no real meat on anything. Oh, no. We're thinking of doing this, should we? And I'm going, well, yes, if you do it right, but you probably won't. <laughs> was answer to every single question, should we? It's like... Yes, if you do it properly. It was my answer to basically every question on the thing. It was like, but you won't. So you will probably do it in some really weird way. I know in Wales, they've moved over from, they finally got rid of statements. Yep. And they've moved to IDPs. And IDPs are digitized. So you have to do it in a digital way, which I'm going, brilliant. And then I found out that one of the systems is one of those big, horrible NHS systems. <laughs> which they've kind of went, well, we've got this. Let's just get it to add this on. And everyone, and there's another system which I don't know anything about yet, so I can't tell you if that's good or bad. And the schools hate this new system because it is just so unwieldy and horrible. So a digital system, if done right, is amazing. I think one of the issues with the Welsh system, the IDPs, because I'm involved with a software company that's been a part of that as well, and I know you're part of some of that, but... It's that every local authority within Wales has actually adopted their own digitised system. So yeah. it's it actually has ended up being yes, we'll use a digitised system, but there is no standardised. There is a standardisation because the format has to be the same, but each local authority has a different way of using it and a different process of using it. And that's going to be the big danger with the English system. We're going towards standardised, digitised DHCPs. But for goodness sake, just, you know, I know about, what's the word I'm looking for, quangos and all the rest of it, that single process and having one business doing something. But actually, we do just need one system, not tagging onto the NHS system or the social care system or whatever. I think it's got a system designed to do this, not get something else which can squeeze it into it. No, do something designed for this. But I also think is if it is multiple systems, they talked about having the SEN dashboard. So to me, whatever system you use has to be fed into that. And I'm hoping that SEN dashboard is a really nice thing for the, what was regional schools commissioner, but now that's the regional something director, new name for them. Just, I, I read that the other day. I went, oh, that's what they are. They're those. Okay. Okay, cool. I'm now not, I'm just dating. Nothing else has changed probably. But I'm hoping that means that if all these systems feed into that, we can get an instant, not every couple of years or one year survey thing of how far behind local authorities are. How many things are they behind on? Who's late? Who hasn't responded? Is it the schools? No. Is it the local authority? Yes. And hopefully drive changes rather than we get the annual EHCP, EHCNA stats that especially jungle put out each year from the data, they get a nice thing. And you just look at the authorities and the shockingness of how late some authorities or how many reject. But that's a one-year thing. There's nothing really held to account. And I'm hoping this, this dashboard will bring in that. And it has to be. The one thing with the new green paper, the new code, whatever they're going to do, has to be accountability. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it doesn't exist. So is it a Senko or a Sendu? Well, we're supposed to be coordinators, not doers, but we really struggle to delegate. Partly, going back to what I said before, we were good at what we did. We're good at reaching those kids. And if, when you can see that somebody else is not reaching them, it is so difficult not to just get down on your hands and knees and do rather than coordinate. However, that is also why there's a massive burnout of Senkos because we are doing too much rather than coordinating everybody else and empowering everybody else to do it. So that's what we need to be doing. We need to 
demonstrate it. Absolutely. You know, think of it as teaching a lesson. You show, model, demonstrate, and then you give somebody else the chance to do something and they may well do it wrong. So you then modify that with them. You talk them through it and you give them the chance to make mistakes. We all learn by making mistakes. And, you know, we've really got to move on from this notion of we're going to go and do it. We need to coordinate it. We need to filter it down to everybody else. And back to that, it's everybody's responsibility. It isn't just the Senko's responsibility. It has got to be everybody plays their part within it. And, you know, sometimes we need to take the lead. Absolutely, we need to take the lead. But sometimes it might be those PGC students who've come in, who've got a really good experience of dealing with something, we can let them take the lead. We can learn from other people as well. So, you know, letting them come up with a project. I want, you know, my local authority is actually pretty good, the university, I should say. They send students, they have to do a six-week SEN project. It is compulsory as part of their PGC. Oh, that's good. So, you know, how much time they put into it is a different matter. But they would come to me when they come on their first placement and they talk to me and they get some information from me and they negotiate an SEN pro- project to do over a six-week period and then present it back to me. So like, we've managed to do things like producing a student voice booklet. So I've got a visual impairment. This is what I'd like you to do to support me in class. And it's a, kind of like a generic document that we could then hand out to teaching staff. So they would go out and they'd interview all the students with a visual impairment, gather their thoughts, put it in the booklet, and then do it for a a number of different difficulties and disabilities. Brilliant. Absolutely amazing. They got to learn about SEN and my staff benefited from it as well. I didn't do anything. I coordinated it. I facilitated it for those people. Those PGCE students... I know that all of them have actually gone on to go and do roles within schools involve SEN, which is just amazing. But all of them said at the end of it that they had learned so much from it because they were able to just dive in there and do something. We did another one where we did posters. We'd got some students who were coming through to us with physical disabilities, which we hadn't had in the school for a very long time. So they, their project is usually Easter to May half term. So we kind of know who we've got coming in the September by that point. So we asked them to go and research these different physical disabilities and to talk with the occupational therapists and to go and do some research and to come back with what do we need in place in school. And then what we arranged for is in the last half term was they actually did the transition visits for those students talked to those students and said, look, this is what we've put in place. What else do you need? That was so empowering for everybody. Again, I didn't need to do anything. I coordinated and facilitated and enabled other people to be able to do it. And then those PGC students passed that information to my LSAs, my TAs, my teachers. And it was just fantastic. It was amazing. Really good. So big thing is there, the PGCE had defined time and a role to do the SEN stuff. And that's amazing. And it really shows the difference it can make. And that's, I think one of the things the Senko is always fighting is we need to do this for the SEN. And the answer comes back, well, we don't have the time, which is not great. Uh, and I, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's a Senko, not Sento. And it is that facilitating. You mentioned Senko burnout. And Senko burnout is a very big thing. and. I think anyone who is running through treacle, putting all the effort in and getting nowhere will burn out, yeah? Because when you do something hard, you achieve something, there's a whole chemical goes off around your body and you can do stuff and blah, blah, lovely. Abigail might know more about the chemicals than anybody in that moment, but I have no idea. But I know that certain endorphins fire off and you get a, but when you work hard and you're not getting that, you need that. And that's one thing I think you've got people who are trying to be strategic and basically getting shut down. <laughs> they are trying to facilitate change around the school and not having the time. They are 
getting bombarded with all the paperwork and emails from the local authority around SEN. They're getting EHCP rejected and having to do the tribunal. They're doing all of that and trying to support the parents who are even more frustrated, but the only person that only person the family have contact with in reality, in most cases, is the Senko. So that Senko gets the brunt of it all. It's rather obvious when you line all of that up, we're going to get burnout and everything else. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you only have to look at, you know, those comments on social media. I've had enough. I've spent the day in tears. I don't know what to do. And then it all comes out with where people just literally express themselves. But like I couldn't find my words earlier and you had to support me with it. But they, you know, they will spill it out exactly as it is. And it comes across slightly wrong. It makes it look like they don't love their job. And we know that they do love their job, but are just so flipping frustrated that things, there's just too much. There's just far too much. Now, one of the big things, if you are in a job where you are feeling like this, the biggest thing you can change that will have a humongous impact on your life is the leader above you. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. If you are thinking the system is wrong, blah, blah, and you're thinking all of those things, you're in this hole, yeah? The biggest thing you can change is that person above you who should be looking after you and giving, allowing you. Yeah, if that person above you changes or you move to a different school, you can have and will have a very different experience. Yeah. Or you need to educate them and change their mindset. And sometimes you cannot. No, sometimes you can't. I was in that situation as chair of governors. I couldn't educate. I threw my toys out the pram. I left shortly after they left. The school changed. Great. So sometimes you cannot change their mind. I always find with the Senko, and I find this in lots of schools, is the school could be crumbling. And there's often one person in that school propping everything and every person and sometimes it's the same code, sometimes it's a, but you, I go to these schools, you know, I've known schools where I literally have looked at the school and go, the he, it's bad head teacher, bad this, bad thing. And it's like one person is kind of giving everyone that emotional support and being that friend and keeping the school running. And you know, the moment that person leaves, it will all fall apart. And that person often knows that, so therefore won't leave. Oh, yeah. Even though it's damaging them, they're going, I need to. They need me and all that sort of stuff. I'm sometimes occasionally blunt with things. And I was at a show, and I think it was, I'm trying to work out what it was, if it was the education show, but I think it might have been like an autism show in London. So this is early June. And this Senko, who was also running, well, no, they're running a resource base and they were understaffed. It was miles too much work. And she told me everything. And I went, you're a mug. Yeah. <laughs> You're a mug. You are going to, and she told me everything. I went, and I said to her, you will not make it to the end of term with doing what you're doing. You are not going to make it. And the problem is you've got to think strategic with your energy levels. Yeah. If you can support everyone for three weeks and then burn out and be off for six months, who's looking at the children after six months? No one. So in reality, you've got to slow down and play the longer game so you can support them, maybe not quite as much, but for longer. And I said this to this lady, and the person next to me is going, I can't believe you called her a mug. It's like, she needed to hear it. She came back a year later. I went, yeah, I made it another five weeks and took the rest of the term off sick. You were right. It's like, when you go through it and you come out the other side, you can see these things. When you've hit that limit of what you can take, and then you hit it and you, yeah, you'll learn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's scary. I think, you know, we talk about safeguarding leads having supervision. We talk about counsellors having supervision. You know, in the medical profession, it's not uncommon where if you've dealt with something serious, you've dealt with something that's emotionally draining, you get supervision opportunities. You know, even your school nurse gets supervision. It's that opportunity to offload all those things that they've experienced over a period of time 
That is, if you've got a school nurse stump, but all those things that have come onto their plate, they're having to deal with, they get supervision. And it's not a critical thing. It's a chance to offload, perhaps get some advice on things to do, but not to criticise you for having done it wrong or for anything else. It's just that offloading chance. And sometimes to help you find, you know, the wood for the trees or the way through the tunnel. And as Senkos, there isn't any of that. There really isn't. There isn't a, a Senko supervisory facility. My education psychologist was fantastic. So she did used to do some supervision type activities with me. Outside of my contracted hours, I would like to say I was not using her time to that should be used for children. It was something I paid for from my education psychologist outside of that time. But it was a choice. And she was absolutely amazing at it. Social network groups, as you know, I run a group for nearly 10,000 SEN professionals, most of which are Senkos. And being able to go on there and say, I'm struggling with this and have other people go, yeah, I am as well. Just that sometimes is enough for you to go, oh, thank God for that. I thought it was me. Or to kind of go in there and offload, possibly anonymously, and for someone to say, well, have you tried this or have you tried that? And to get some ideas and not to kind of read it as a criticism, but to read it as somebody who's possibly been in your shoes and is now giving you a bit of support with it and giving you some advice. You know, there are things out there that we can do for ourselves to support and, and not feel totally lonely. There's the book by Gary Orbin, isn't yeah. there? The Lone Sendco. And it does feel like being the Lone Sendco sometimes. But actually, we have probably the biggest network of professionals and staff to work with. It's just knowing who to tap into and what to tap into them for. So, yes. There is a giant community around SEN and lots of things. And problem is the whole of the SCN world costs a lot of money. Yep. There's a big budget and local authorities do not want to spend the money. So what you're battling is the accountants in a local authority at the end of the day. And if you follow Gary Freeman on Twitter, you will watch his battles with local authorities. You'll He calls them out and stuff. And you can see that actually often local authorities are being illegal with the advice they give. But you as a Senko who didn't do the EHCP training on your Senko course, don't know what you're being told is actually incorrect and illegal, but you're told you trust them. Um, and so, and that's where a lot of the stress comes in is that is the stress is because the money isn't there and they're trying to save it. Yeah, definitely. When I was a chair of governors, I had to recruit some head teachers. And you recruit them to that role. You think you're employing the right person for it. None of them had previously been head teachers, so they were all new to the head teacher level of responsibility. They had all been deputies, though. And it would have been about my second or third governor's meeting. I was actually a very new governor to the school. I went straight in as chair of governors. Don't ask, that's an even longer story. But I'd gone in, I'd recruited this head teacher in the July. They started in the September. That's quite a short period of time for a head teacher, for those of you who are aware, but it's a lot, that's an equally long story. And they started, it must have been our second meeting, this was about October time. And we asked them a finance question and they couldn't answer it. Okay, fine, fair enough. And she admitted she didn't know anything about finance. Okay. So we then moved on to something to do with health and safety because we have to do a health and safety matrix for every meeting. And she couldn't answer that. And it was like, okay, why? I don't know anything about health and safety. And it turns out she'd got the MPQH, but the MPQH hadn't taught her anything about school budgets, staffing, you know, school-led training, about health and safety. It had not taught her anything about the things that she was going to be asked by those of us who were trying to maintain that level within the school. And the Senko is the same. So we've got an ASENCO course where we don't get legal training. And yet SEN is so legally binding. I actually wish I'd qualified as a lawyer before I came into it. Because, you know, even one word out of place can be 
detrimental. It, 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 it determines what must happen or should happen. It is so important. I, you know, Ipsy offer a training course, a legal training course for HCPs. And I almost feel that should be a compulsory element of the NACENCO, because if Senko's understood some of that, some of the questions you get asked and some of the things that are not going quite right or where the local authority isn't doing something that they should be doing, they'd have that power to challenge back. They'd have that knowledge and understanding to be able to go, well, actually, X. One thing I would say about deputy heads and Senko's is if you are a good teacher, you can move on to being a deputy head, where a deputy head is like the best teacher in the school. You're going to show everyone how to teach. You're going to lead. You're going to do all those things. And you basically, you are the model teacher. As a deputy head, you're literally that. And I think if you're that teacher who can reach those children, you somehow going, I think you're going to head off to be a Senko. Yeah, it's kind of, you kind of got, I'm going to be a Senko, reach the children. Whereas if you're that teacher who's really organized, can help others, and kind of just doing that, that's kind of leads you into deputy. The head teacher is a completely different job. I often partly say, I think that you could probably be a head teacher without being a teacher because the skills you need are so different. And I know schools where the deputy head kind of, they run the school. They are very inward looking. The head teacher is outward looking. And I went to a, a school in Scotland. It was an independent school. And the, I knew the head teacher. I knew the deputy. The head teacher left. The deputy got promoted. And I was like, so how is it? How is it? And, and the, her first words were, I had no idea how much she protected me. So far in the last six weeks, I've learned where every boiler is. <laughs> and it, and it, nothing about education. Yeah. Her first six weeks have not been anything to do with education. It's learning the building, learning everything other than education. A head teacher is a very good business manager who has an interest in education. And, you know, I'm not dismissing any head teachers who are excellent educators, but the role itself is very much more about running a business. And a head teacher needs to be a people person. They need to yes. organise people. As Senkos, we also don't get any training on how to deal with the largest team in school because we have a team that sits below us, our TAs and our LSAs, and then we have this kind of team that sits on a parallel with us, which are all of the teachers and the, the SEM professionals, perhaps. And then we've got this team that sits above us, which is our SLT and our parents and our stakeholders and our governors. And we don't get taught how to deal with those people. And I am not a people person. I Children, not a problem. I have no problem meeting the needs of any child at the level that they need to be met at. People, it's like, oh, for goodness sake, just get on with it. I, I know I, that's why I'm no longer a governor. <laughs> because I could, when you see something's really obvious and you ask someone to do it or things like that and they're not doing it, you're like, why? I, 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 if you're not going to change, I've got, it. yeah, so there's certain... But yeah, it's certain things you sit there and go, yeah, just it's so obvious we should be doing this and we don't. But yeah, that there is a whole that Senko, you're not you are coordinating SEN. Yeah. So all of those people you just talked about is who you are coordinating. It's massive. Even the, you know, the head teacher doesn't even coordinate that number of staff because the head teacher devolves it to the deputy head teacher, who then devolves it probably to a couple of assistant head teachers or heads of year or heads of department. They each take control of their own little strands of things. Ultimately, the head teacher is the one whose head will roll if things go wrong. But they do get to be strategic. They do sit, get to sit at the top and get somebody else to do it. As Senkos, we're working below us and we're working above us and we're working on the same level. And the other, what, the other struggle I think some Senkos have is those younger Senkos who haven't got many years of teaching experience under their belt. Who, you know. Some of them very good, some of them absolutely fantastic. But what they don't have is, I suppose, almost the respect of other teachers within that their setting. I, I can imagine if you came in as a teacher and then a couple of years later became the Senko, some of the more experienced staff will not no. listen to you. No, it, it's difficult. And it's sometimes, you know, a lot of teachers nowadays, 
they don't tend to move. They don't tend to move school. They go to one school. They just kind of stay there and work their way up the ranks or through the ranks, whatever. Whereas, you know, when I started teaching, I've lost count of the schools I've been in now, seven or eight different establishments. You moved. If you wanted career progression, you moved to somewhere else. Or if you had a change in circumstances, you moved to somewhere else. And now, because they're doing it within house, so, you know, I'm a really good year four teacher and I'd like to be the Senko because the Senko is leaving. So they promote that person to the Senko role. They don't get that fresh start. They don't get to start again, which there's advantages. Yes, you know your kids, you know your families, you know your school, you know your structure, you know all of those things. But the disadvantages, you've been there a while and people know what mistakes you've made. One of the things I think about teachers moving on is a good leader should push you out after a certain while. If you've learned to be a teacher at that school, I'm going to go back to the chicken, a chicken, a bird in the nest. Yeah, that, that they're going to feed you, they're going to teach you, you're going to learn. But at some point, you're going to have to see if you can fly. And if you stay in that school, you're not going to do that. So if someone's not kind of pushing you to leave in a polite way, there are pushing you to leave for other reasons. But if you've got a really good relationship they should be able to say to you, you need to go to new pastures. You've learned everything you can here. What you now need to do is go somewhere else to find that what you think you know works, doesn't work. It only works because of X, Y, and Z. And you need to find out, actually, if I change this, it changes this. And I, I think every four or five years or so, teachers should change. We used to have that many, many years ago. My um, next door neighbor used to be a teacher. My family are not teachers. I come from a, a family of um, hands-on workers. Um, but my next door neighbour was a teacher and she used to belong to the local authority teaching pool. So you weren't employed by the school, you were employed by the teaching pool. And each year you would be told which school you would be deployed to. And she said that was one of the best things for her because it yeah okay it meant she had to make new relationships each year she needed to learn new things but it was fantastic because she got to move around our local area she got to experience lots of different sets of context and it's what made her and she did end up as a deputy head teacher at a very small village school it's what made her who she was and she was a fantastic teacher I think I think you just if you stay in one school you will get stuck in a certain way of doing things and also if you're in a local authority and you just move from one school to another um I where we live is a bit of a bit of a small local I think it's like 20 or 30 primary schools and it's kind of you if you just move from one school to the other, you're stirring yeah. the same pot you need to move out to a different authority someone needs to move into that authority and then you're getting a over oh, in that authority we don't do that we do this well that's a bit ooh you need that change. It freshens one school, one person coming in with a different way of doing things. Otherwise, yeah, you can kind of stagnate a school. You need that fresh idea. Anyway, we've been rambling for a long while, so we're gonna, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up. But it is, the Senko is a very hard role, made harder by others. Generally, it is always made harder, sometimes externally from the school, from the uh, local authority, sometimes internally. But you will find other Senkos around on various social media groups who are in the same boat further along or have been in the same boat and said, look, either you need to just cut your losses and move on or this is what you need to do to make a difference. Yeah, so cutting and running isn't your losing, yeah? You've got to look after you, <laughs> yeah? And if you cannot make a difference in that school, Another two years might will probably still want to make a difference, whereas you can go make a difference somewhere else, which is what you will need to feel to keep you going. So, Abigail, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Dale. Got a couple of links, including the SCND Code of Practice, which Abigail probably knows off by heart, most of it. And also be sharing Abigail's contact details, and you'll find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com, or wherever you listen to this podcast. So thank you for listening to Grow. Please find us on social media and share us on social media. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we are simply The Sendcast. And if you're struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just don't see what's available, have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. 
We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small sets of progress for pupils with SEND. And what's really good about that is it, you can allow your teachers to identify the next steps themselves and give your teachers more confidence about identifying the next steps rather than always coming to you. So please get in contact. You can find out about our online training, our conferences, you can read our blog or watch our webinars. It's all on the B Squared website. You'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes and you can also drop me an email. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye.